Judges chapter 8. <clears throat> Appreciate testimonies. God is good. Merciful, just. <clears throat> Judges chapter 8. I've titled this message tonight. We're going to talk a lot about success, but I've titled it The Snare of Success. Um, <clears throat> this is a continuation, really, of, of the... Life of Gideon. And so let's let's read the entire chapter. It says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, of course this is after he routed the Midianites, and they they ran and of course slew themselves. In fact, there was 120,000 men slain that first battle. There were several battles before they were completely defeated, but that first one, uh, verse 10 here tells us, there was 120,000. Um, and Ephraim slew, really, Oreb and Zeb. But anyway, it says, The men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizir? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in the comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the three hundred men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zamuna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamuna now in thine hand? that we should give bread unto thine army. And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zamuna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Peniel, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Peniel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. He spake also unto the men of Peniel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zamuna were in Karkar, and their hosts with them, about fifteen thousand men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and Jajbaha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. That was, they were, they were at ease, or they were at rest. And when Zeba and Zamuna, Zamuna fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zamuna, and discomfited all the hosts. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up, caught a young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him. He described unto him the princess of Succoth, and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Ziba and Zamuna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zamuna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness, and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he beat down the tower of Penuel, and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Zeba and Zamuna, What manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art. So were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if you had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he sent unto Jether his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, 
for he feared because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zemunah said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zeba and Zemunah, and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, for the Lord, the Lord shall rule over you. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. That must be what's running around in our country today, a lot of Ishmaelites. And they answered, We willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so they lifted up their heads no more. The country was quiet in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulchre of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Bezerites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again, and went a-whoring after Balaam, and made Baal-bareth their god. The children of Israel remembered not the Lord their god, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to the, all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. <clears throat> Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity that we have to study these characters of the Old Testament. And Father, we know that these things are written for our admonition, for our example, and upon whom the ends of the world have come. So Father, we pray that you'd help us to be instructed and challenged and encouraged um, by their examples. Help us to be warned of their failures and not to make the same mistakes they did. So help us to learn and grow from these, we pray. Speak to our hearts through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, again, as we think about Gideon, he is one of the heroes of the Old Testament. Uh, every man has his faults, and Gideon is no exception. Um, but as we titled this, The Snare of Success, you know, Gideon was very successful in accomplishing the work that God had given them to do, and that was to deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the Midianites, and, and of course, to encourage them to serve the Lord. Um, but he kind of failed at the end of his life. You know, so it's like so many, he started very well, but didn't finish so well. So, First of all, I want to look at four, four things he's successful at, or five things. Yeah. Uh, first of all, he's successful in defeating the Midianites. Again, as I mentioned in chapter 8, verse 10, in that first engagement, you might say, where you know, he, they, the 300 men uh, broke their, their pitchers and, and shouted the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and, and all the Midianites, they began, there was 
total chaos, confusion in the camp. They killed each other, and then and then then uh, he sent messengers to Ephraim, saying, "Come down and and take the the passages of Bethabara, which means house of passage." Um, and anyway, where they were going to cross the Jordan River, so so to to catch any Midianites fleeing, then and, and the children of Ephraim uh, did get many of them there, and and Oreb and Zeb they they slew there. Uh, so there's a total of 120,000 in that first battle, you might say. Uh, and then and then in, in chapter eight here we find he pursues after the the, the rest of them, 15,000. With his 300 men. Again, he's going with 300 men. Uh, verse 4 tells us, And Gideon came to Jordan, passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. Uh, verse 11, and he tells us how he did it. Verse 11 and 12, Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and uh, Jogbaha, I guess you say that, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And with Zeba and Zamana fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian and discomfited all the hosts. And, of course, verse 21, of course, he uh, um, uh, puts judgment upon the two kings. Uh, so he was faithful to complete the work the Lord had given him. Verse 28 says, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so they lift up their heads no more. Midian was never a problem again. With the children of Israel, he he completely uh, uh, took care of the threat of the Midianites. Uh, he was faithful to complete that. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse ten tells us, "Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with my thy might." For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Colossians chapter three verses twenty two and twenty three says, "Servants." Is that not what we are? Servants, of course, this is talking about particularly about you know uh, servants. But servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as the Lord, and not unto men. So whatever God gives us to do, we are to do it heartily, and we are to work to complete the task that He's given to us, no matter what it is. We're doing it hardly as unto the Lord. So he successfully defeated, it was defeated, the Midianites. He completed that task. He was also successful, you might say, in dealing with the pride of the Ephraimites. Notice chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. You know, chapter 7 tells us, at the end of the chapter, that he sent messages, verse 24. You know, of course, you know how he got his army originally. You know, there was 32,000, and then God said to anybody that's afraid... Uh, and fearful, send them home. And so there was uh, 22,000 went home with that. And then he took them down to the water and said to everyone that laps like a dog, separate. And the ones that bow down to drink, you send them home. And so there's 300 left. So I don't know, maybe, Ephraim, maybe some of Ephraim originally came to the battle, but they got sent home. But here, after the battle is starting and the Midianites are fleeing, he sends messengers to them and says, come down against the Midianites and take the waters at Bethabara. And, and so they did. And... Uh, but then it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 8, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I doubted now in comparison of you? 
Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizar? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. So he was successful, you might say, in dealing with this pride or this feeling of being offended of the Ephraimites. The Ephraimites are always seen to be people with problems that they had to be dealt with. But Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, many times it's our attitude with which we say things or the way we say it that brings about a right response. You think about this. You know, God, uh, Job was continually asking God, where are you? You know, he didn't know why he was going through what he did. And God could have said to Job, look, I'm God, don't question me. Would that have been right? Yeah, would have been. But did God say that to Job? No, he did not. Instead, God asked Job 84 questions. To make Job think. And that's what that's what Gideon does here. He says, Is not what have I done? Now in comparison of you. I mean, isn't the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the, the vintage of a beezer? I mean, haven't you done more than I have? What what, what what's your problem? Really? Haven't you done more than I have? You know, in other words, he he kind of made them feel like they were better than he. He didn't promote himself above them. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, you find this principle taught in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, and verses uh, 1 to 4. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, well, who ye my joy that be, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he talks about let this mind, or this was the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't think about himself. He was thinking about others. You know, here the Ephraimites are, they're only thinking about, you know, why don't you let us do more? And Gideon says, what have I done in comparison to you? And so he was successful in dealing with the pride of this tribe of Ephraim. But he was also successful in upholding justice. Um, Now we could find us up into two categories. First of all, with his brethren or with his fellow Israelites. In verses 4 through 9, there's an interesting thing here. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth. Now these are not Midianites. These are Israelites, the men of Succoth. Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeb and Zemunah, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zemuna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered 
Zebah and Zamuna into mine hand. Then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And we went up thence to Penuel. Again, these are not Midianites. These are Israelites. And spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now, verses 13 to 17 tells us that he kept his word. He, he, he upheld uh, his word here. In verse 13 it says, And Gideon the son of Joash returned from battle before the sun was up, and caught a young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him, and he described unto him the princes of Succoth, and the elders thereof, even the three score and seventeen. And he came unto the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zamona, whom, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamona now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness, and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth, and he beat down the tower of Peniel, and slew the men of the city. Now, you might say, was he just in doing that? Well, James Foster and Brian said this, By refusing his soldiers refreshment, they had committed a public crime, as well as an act of inhumanity, and were subjected to a horrible punishment, which the great abundance and remarkable size of the thorn bushes, together with the thinness of clothing in the East, has probably suggested. Unquote. So, you know, here the, these are men of Israel. These are not men of the enemy. These are the men of his own country. And yet they, they would not give him food or supplies for his army. And, 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 they, and by doing that, but not supporting, they're, it's like treason against their own nation. And so he takes the thorns and briars and, you know, there's differences of opinion how this is all acted out. Some say they lay them down on the ground and they cover them with thorns and then they take pummels and pummel them and drive them in. Uh, others say they might drag them over them. One commentator said, the problem with these men are they're effeminate. They don't want to fight. They're fearful of any contest. And, 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 uh, Gideon has to make men out of them. Poole's, Matthew Poole says this, and I quote, By that severe punishment he made the men, i.e. the elders of Succoth, to know their sin and folly, though it was too late for their good, but not for the instruction and warning of others, unquote. And you notice the wording here in the King James Bible, it says that with the thorns he taught. He taught them. You know how they used to teach people in the old days in our country? It's called the whipping post. Whipping post. Now, I've never witnessed a whipping post. Um, you know, I just read about them. But not only was did it hurt, but it was a public shame. It was done publicly. So it was given for several reasons. Number one, to correct the erring, erring one of his ways. But number two, to instruct those that are watching. Don't you go down this path. Don't you commit this, this crime. Or this will happen to you. And so 
he was successful. This was this was this was uh, in that time in that day, which I think it'd be good in our day. It was justifiable correction, even though it sounds severe, because it was a crime against these. Was, these people were committing a crime against their own nation by refusing to help the army that God raised up. But not only did it. Did he, would he uphold justice with his brethren? But he also did with the enemy. In verses 17 through 19, uh, verses 19, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 17. Uh, it says, And he beat down the tower of Peniel and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Zeba and Zemuna, What manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? Tabor is another word for a beezer, actually, I believe it was. And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of the king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, had you, if you had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jethro, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Zeba and Zemuna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as a man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zebel and Zemuna, and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Uh, so, you know, and again, if, if you shed blood by man, shall your blood be shed. And so he was carrying out justice upon these, uh, these two kings. But as we think about that, the point is here, we as God's people must be willing to fight the enemy in all forms. I mean, the enemy comes in many forms and we must be willing to fight the enemy now we're not doing it with swords and guns and all that but as they were back in those days of course they didn't have guns but you know they, they still had uh, weapons of war but look at uh, look at a couple of verses here first timothy chapter six first timothy six <clears throat> I think Nathan's favorite verse is Psalm 144, verse 1. You know, he teaches my uh, hands to war and my fingers to fight. Uh, anyway, but in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says this. Paul writing to Timothy, he's a pastor, who from indications in the scripture is a little timid. And so he, he instructs him this way. But thou, O man of God... Flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He tells them to fight the good fight of faith. Writing to Titus, another pastor, in Titus chapter 1, verse 13. Titus 1, verse 13, he tells them, he tells him, this, this witness is true, speaking about the Grecians. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, 11, he says, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. You see, we are to judge people, and we are to judge them by the word of God. You know, again, people will say, well, that's kind of judgmental. They make judgments all the time. Everybody judges. 
They just have a different standard by which they judge. Everybody makes judgments. But we are, as God's children, we are to judge, uh, or to make judgments, and we are to fight the enemy. We're to stand against the enemy, uh, whatever form it may be in. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah 48.10. It says this, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. And the, the, the man that I see in that verse is Saul. Saul said he did the work of the Lord, but Samuel said, no, you did not do the work of the Lord. You didn't keep the word of the Lord. And Samuel took Saul's sword and hewed Agag to pieces. Cursed be Saul. He kept back his sword from blood. He didn't rightfully take care of the enemy. How often do you hear today? Christians will say, Pastors say, well, let's not muddy the waters. Or let's, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a favorite one. Well, let's not be contentious, preacher. We've got a question. Where's contention come from? Go to Romans chapter 8, or Romans chapter 2. <coughs> Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 8, says, But unto them who are that are contentious, and notice this, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So the contentious are those that do not obey the truth, Paul said. Go to Jude. Verses 17 through 19. Jude 17 through 19. <clears throat> yeah, this used to bother me. That people say, well, preacher, you're causing division. If you want to hold to a Bible standard. And is that not what Jesus said? I didn't come to send peace. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be the cause of the daughter being against her mother and the mother against her daughter and the husband against his wife. And, you know, that's going to happen. There's going to be division. But what is the cause of that division? Jude, verse 17, says, Beloved, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These, in other words, those mockers, that walk after their own ungodly lust, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. In other words, those that, those that, 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 that he's talking about here are those that, that follow the ways of the flesh. They don't want to stand. You know, they're like the, 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 the men of Succoth. They didn't. You know what they were worried about? They were worried about, what happens if Gideon doesn't defeat these two kings? That's an appeal to the flesh. See, they were looking to the flesh. They weren't looking to what was right in the sight of God. 
They were looking to the flesh. They were fearful for their own hide. More so than what's right in the sight of God. How many people today, how many Christians are more fearful about what other people think or what's going to happen in the church if, if we take a stand than what's right in the sight of God? And, and, and Jude here tells us that it, it, these are they who separate. These are the ones that are causing the divisions. It isn't the people that are standing for the truth that are causing the divisions. You know, there was division at Corinth. Did Paul and Peter and Apollos cause it? No. But that's who they were fighting over. One said, I follow Peter. One said, I, another, another group said, I follow Apollos. Another group said, I follow, follow uh, Paul. And then there was the real spiritual ones that said, well, we follow Christ. They're all bickering and fighting amongst themselves. You know what the problem is? None of them were following the Lord. They were each leaning to their own understanding. Brother Hoyle shared tonight with a men's meeting, uh, men's prayer time, that that you know what he's going through in the Old Testament shows us that if we seek the holiness of God, it'll end all the strife. In other words, and again, that's 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 if we're doing what is right, if you do what is right, you're not causing division. Division comes about when you seek to leave what is right, and so. So we must fight. We must be willing to fight the enemy. We must be willing to stand for what is right and for what is true. And that's what you find Gideon doing here. He's standing for the truth, and he meets out justice to those who committed treason against the nation and against God. So he's successful in upholding justice. He also was successful in rejecting a king's crown. Notice in verse 22 and 23. It says, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. Thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That would have been a very attractive thing for him to become their king I mean after all he he led the the the, the 300 men and, and led the others into battle and, and, and defeating this huge host of an army this great multitude and so they come to him and they offer it to him you know, reign over us be our king But he reminds them that in all things, God is to have preeminence. God was to be their king, their only king, and their ruler. And he was not going to take the place or usurp that authority that belonged unto the Lord. But you notice one final thing. He was, sad to say, successfully snared by his wealth. Notice verse 24. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment, and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. 
And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camel's neck. Uh, so, so he gets all this, and, and verse 27 tells us what he did with it. It says, And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Now, it would have been good if he'd have asked for all those things, and then if he'd have done with it like Jacob did. Remember what Jacob did with when he was coming up to Bethel and returning, turning back to the land of Canaan, and then it says he took all the the, the ornaments and the and the you know the the, the um, all the you know idol you know the ornaments and stuff that they gathered and he buried them under an oak. Took all the earrings and all the things that they had on them and he buried them under an oak and he left them. But instead, Gideon made an ephod. Now, an ephod is a garment that, and of course, there were garments here, purple garments of the kings of Midian. And the, an ephod, though, is a, is a garment that's used in worship and usually has me, all kinds of metals and things on it. Uh, remember the priest, the high priest had a, had a, had a they, uh, the priest wore ephods, and the high priest, his had uh, phylacteries on it, which were like pockets, and embroidered on it, there, there was um, an, uh, uh, a title, uh, Holiness of the Lord, and then in that pocket there was the Ten Commandments, and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were also engraved on, on that, that ephod. So something, a very beautiful garment, but it says that he, that he took this garment and he put it in his house, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon to his hat. So, so you know, most commentators would, would say that they believe there was not only an ephod, but what along went, went along with that was an altar. They went a whoring, which means they worship. It became a thing of worship. Remember, the tabernacle is at Shiloh. Anybody know which tribe Shiloh's in? Huh? No. It's an Ephraim. It's still an Ephraim at this point. Of course, Ephraim was the tribe he had trouble with. One commentator said this, Artistic beauty has a way of impressing us and giving us a sense of awe, but it is not necessarily a godly oppression or awe. Many times it can distract our focus from the Lord. In contrast to this ephod, God had commanded that his altars be made of unfinished stone. Exodus chapter 20, verse 25. So that no man's or no one's attention was focused on the beauty of the stone carver's work. Unquote. So you know, anything that they were to worship, they were to use in worship, was not to be made by a carver. The stones, the altars were, were to be natural stones, not carved work. But here we find Gideon making this ephod and puts it in his house, and it becomes a snare uh, unto the children of Israel, uh, which they worshipped it. The second thing he does, so, so he makes the ephod. The second thing he does 
which is a you know God command not to do, is multiplied wives. And again, this is a common thing in the East. This is this is the, this is how you show your wealth and your power and your prestige. Verse thirty. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen says, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And we know from other examples in the scripture, when you multiply wives, what's it bring into your household? Contention. Division. Sarah and Hagar. Lee and Rachel. You know, we can go on and on and on. Hannah and Hannah and um, what's the other name? Salafahad. No, Salafahad, something like that. Um, I can't remember what her name was. Anyway, you know, um, Elkanah had two wives. Hannah was one of them. And the other wife had children, and Hannah did not. It caused contention in his house. Not only that, and this is interesting, do you know what Abimelech means? Father, a king. Father, a king. So he he not only has these wives, but he has this concubine, which means an inferior wife, uh, or harlot, that was in Shechem. She also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Father, a king. I guess I would sum this up by saying this. You know, he was successful in conquering the Midianites, but he failed at training the next generation or preparing the next generation to serve the Lord. You know, it's not wrong to have wealth. That's not the issue, that he had wealth. The issue is what he did with it. You know, he made he made this ephod, which caused his household and the children of Israel to worship at a false altar. He also, of course, multiplied to himself wives, which brought contention and division into his own house, which we're going to see next week really, really wreaks havoc in his own house. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's three, they say, you know, I've often heard this, they say there's three things that will bring a man down. Wealth, women, Uh, I'm not sure if it's wine. Might be popularity, fame. Anyway, wealth and women are two of them. Uh, two of the top three. 
But notice in verse Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And we read about Gideon that this thing brought a snare unto his house. And it caused the children of Israel, but the children of Israel went a whoring after it. Um, you know, he was snared by his wealth, by his power. You know, we need to learn. I think it was, it was Abraham Lincoln said, the test of man's character is what he'll do with power. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy... I don't know if it's easy. I don't know if that's the right word to say. It, some people say it's easy to serve the Lord when things aren't going so well. But when everything's going good, it's easier to forget the Lord. That's the pattern that we see throughout history. And Paul said this in Philippians, I have learned in whatsoever state I am what? Therewith to be content. I have learned both to, to abound and to suffer need. And then he said, I can do all things, referring to all those, both of those, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You, you, you and I, we live in a country of affluence. Now you might say, well, preacher, I'm not very affluent. By most people in the world, every one of us are. Every one of us are. We have, we all have things we don't need. None of us are living hand to mouth. We may, in our society, we may think we are, but by world standards, we're not. Uh, yeah, you know, the only things we really need, the only the only thing that's a need in this world is food and raiment. That's it. And we can easily be distracted from our allegiance to the Lord by the things which we acquire and multiply to ourselves. And it can be a snare. To us and to our children, as it is to Gideon and his offspring. You know, we can be successful in many other ways and yet be snared by these things. Might God help us be to take heed not to allow ourselves to be snared with any of the wiles of the devil.